Welcome back to Uncorrect New York. This is Kelly Mena. And I'm Stephen Witt. Yes, uh, we're sans Tom Rosati this week. He's at the Super Bowl. Hopefully it'll be a good game. Steve, you want to weigh in? Well, I, you know, I'm always thinking that New England, I'm tired of them. I'm so sick of New England every year in the Super Bowl. I think Tom Brady is bald. He's old. <laughs> <laughs> he's bald. I mean, what does he have over me? He's very wealthy. He's one of the best athletes ever lived and has a supermodel for a wife. But besides that, I, I think he's got nothing over me. <laughs> <laughs> he's won a whole bunch of Super Bowls. Yes. he. All right. So he's got a couple Super Bowl rings over me, too. A couple. <laughs> but I do think that New England, again, will probably win. And the Rams got in because of that bad uh, call last week. Oh, I, don't, I actually don't follow American football. So what, what, what do you mean? What bad call? There was a pass interference. It was an obvious pass interference against New Orleans. I know New Orleans fans are really up in arms. And even the commissioner of football said, hey, Sometimes we blow calls, you know. But what? What it was supposed to be a pass interference, or they called it as a pass? No, interference? it was a pass interference. They didn't call it. It was a blown call, and it would have been a touchdown. Uh, like somebody jumped in front of the ball, or like hit yeah, the ball. yeah, he hit the player. He literally just like <laughs> pushed the guy, you know. Uh, and that would have been the winning play. Yes, that would have got him in. What was the score in that game? Uh, it was an overtime game. I don't remember the exact score because of my ADD memory, but it, it was a close game. <laughs> Oh, that's too bad. Yeah. That's unfortunate. Hey, you win some, you lose some. But somebody has to go to the Super Bowl. Somebody, ha right. There has to be a winner. There has to be a loser, you know? you know? That's the thing about games. I hear, um, is it Gladys Knight that's doing the uh, national anthem? Gladys. You know, is it Gladys Knight or someone else? Maybe you should Google. But to me, one of the coolest parts of the Super Bowl, one of the most underrated parts of the Super Bowl, is the national anthem. Like, a lot of people think, Oh, it's the halftime show or the commercials. Like, I remember Whitney Houston crushed the national anthem. Yes, Gladys Knight. It's Gladys Knight. It is. And, you know. I remember a couple years ago, maybe it was Christina Aguilera, she completely flubbed oh, right, right. on the national anthem. It was like, yeah. how do you not know the national <laughs> yeah. anthem? How, like, even if you don't know it, you're going to be at the Super Bowl. So remember it. You know, right, like, prep. Right. you prep for it. You know, you don't just go out that day and go, oh, well, today I'm singing the national anthem. They announced it ahead of time. And she completely flubbed on it. It was yeah, like she forgot that. the word. She wasn't singing very well. But, yeah, I rem I don't know if I was alive for Houston's or I was really young when Whitney Houston sang it. But she sang it and crushed It's one of the more memorable right. national anthems ever sung. I know. It almost reminds you of the big controversy of Beyonce when she uh – I don't know if it was a national anthem, but she supposedly mouthed the words, and there was a big thing about it. And then she had a press conference. She literally sang it a cappella. It's like, look, I could have sang the national anthem. It's just, I, I think it was Obama's inauguration or something. Really? Yeah. I never knew about that one. Yeah, there, there's all kinds of controversies over the national anthem. Well, there's also controversies when it comes to live live singing because you, sometimes you can't control the conditions, so they rather have it pre-recorded than let you sing. That's what happened because, with Beyonce. Because they're like, we want it to go so perfect right. that we rather take a chance that she is a little bit off with the words than she it completely go berserk. You know, we want it so perfect. And that's the only way to get it perfect is to pre-record it. So Yes. All right. Well. This is our third episode. I hope you guys are enjoying. We're going to talk about a little bit of New York City politics and then some state, and then we'll talk more about the Super Bowl at the end. Right off the top, 
official ballot for the public public advocates race was announced this week. Lo and behold, we all learned a valuable lesson. You got to get off the ballot early because if you get off too late, there's no going back. Like uh, Assemblywoman Latrice Walker just learned the hard way. Yeah, and you know she wasn't able to raise the money, so she dropped out. The interesting thing is not who got on the ballot, but so far only three candidates got matching funds, eight to one. Correct. You know, Melissa Mark Viverito herself hasn't been able to get the matching. Well, she actually only raised sixty-two thousand. It was matchable, and the threshold is sixty-five-two, or she, or she raised sixty, and she was a couple thousand off. Right. So she didn't even apply. But like Espinol had enough, but they didn't give him the match. Um, A couple others had had the money, but the matchable claims. But when they did the audit, they didn't make it through. But I called the campaign finance board and they are probably going to give a couple more matching funds this week. Okay, so we should hear something about some people getting some more money. I I still think Jumani is the front runner. Do you think Melissa Mark Favorito is a favorite? I think Jumani's the front runner. I think Melissa Mark Viverito has got to be up there. Interestingly, Dawn Smalls that did the match. She came out the the Obama administration, but what she has against her, she doesn't have a base. Right. She's what? a she's a first time runner. She's right. She this is her first time running for a public office. Right, and usually you need a base. Like Jumani's going to get those Flatbush votes, the right. progressive votes. Right. Blake will get the Bronx votes. He's going to get some. Right. Dawn doesn't really have a base where she represents a district. Right. Well, and the other thing about Jamani being the front runner, the city council member, um, people are already running for his seat. You know, people are already <laughs> announcing it. It's almost like he's already won because people are already looking to take over his seat in the city council. So it's kind of like everybody feels like he's probably going to be the winner. But we won't actually know till after February 26th. No, it's going to be interesting how the votes come in. And, and Eric Ulrich, he's the only Republican. Correct. And he is in Queens. Funds. He's in Queens. Which is one of the more diverse boroughs, the most diverse boroughs out of all the five boroughs in New York City. Right. He's a young guy. He kind of has a base. And he's the only one on the other side. So, you know, he's going to be. Well, he's running that everybody supported de Blasio. And if you want a rubber stamp for de Blasio, vote for them. But if you want someone that's going to be de Blasio's worst nightmare, vote for me. Oh, is that what he's running on? That's his his little motto? Yes. I'm going to be against de Blasio. Right. Well, everybody, you know, like Jumani steps right in step with de Blasio. You think? Yeah, Jumani. They're the progressive wing of the Democratic Party. (laughs) Why do you say it like that? You know, that's why Howard Schultz is running for president as an independent, the Mm -hmm. Starbucks guy. Right, right. And I think his motto is a cappuccino in every house. (laughs) (laughs) Also, we should talk about how the ballot at the moment is going to snake. So it's going to go from left to right on the first line, right to left on the second line, and then again, left to right on the last line, which I've never heard of a ballot sneaking like that. I don't even understand what's the point. What's the advantage then? Why Why make it snake? I don't... I'm not sure either, but the Board of Elections in New York State <laughs> is in New York City has its own little dramas that nobody can understand. But it just doesn't make sense to me. We all read left to right. What? Uh, why wouldn't you just make everything go left to right? I don't understand. I don't know, but you ever go on voting day? How is it you can go into Trader Joe's and stand in a line and you're in and out and 20 minutes, but the Board of Elections, you could be there for an hour. Nobody knows anything. 
They're missing ballots. <laughs> the machine's down. Yeah. There's there's not enough. There's not enough volunteers for the day. You know, that's what I always worry about. Single payer health care. Everybody's like single payer health care. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, if you want to see how single payer national health care is going to work, go on election day. <laughs> Look at the lines or to the post office. Right? <laughs> Why? Why do you say that? I, I just don't know how I much I, I get that everybody want free medical, but I don't trust the government with lines and bureaucracy. <laughs> if Steve sees a line coming out of a federal building, he knows there's a problem. He yeah. just doesn't. He will never stand in that line. Right. You're a funny man. All right. Moving on. The star out of the Bronx and Queens, Alexandria Congresswoman Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. She still doesn't have a district office set up. But apparently she has a representative from Texas taking your calls, you know, fielding, fielding those phone calls, giving them complaints. What's what's going on there? And you think it's just because she's too busy on her national campaign? I'm not. You know, I want to be nice to her. Um, <laughs> you act like you I know mean, her. No, I want I to be nice no, to we her. Interviewed I want to like she's her. Certainly, she's good for politics because it's a new face. She's young. She's bright. Uh, at the end of the day, though, it's filling the potholes. You know, it's it's getting the job done. There's a lot of immigrants in her district. There's immigration issues. That is certainly federal issues. There's certain Section Nine housing things that are federal issues. You know, she can't be expected to fill a pothole because that's kind of a city issue. But there is, you know, if somebody wants to get into the military academy from her district, there should be you know, all kinds of constituent services, social security mm -hmm. issues mm -hmm. that, you know, it's important to get up and running a, a district office. And, you know, well, the government was shut down for over a month. Well, that's her excuse. But Max Rose is he's already met with Trump. He's got district offices. He's gone to the projects. He's, you know, now that being said, you went to the Women's March and you told me that she was like everybody. It was almost like a, a cult figure. Oh, yeah. They idolized her. I'm talking idolization. Girls were crying at the sight of her. Like, oh, my gosh, she's here. She's here. She has risen. Like tears. One girl, I was there almost the entire, I think it was four hours. It was a rally. Um, and one girl was like, She's like, oh, my gosh, my heart skips a beat every time they announce a new speaker because I think it's AOC. Oh, right. And AOC. it was just like her heart is skipping a beat. I'm like, you know, she's just a congresswoman. You know, it's it's nice to see so many now people, especially young people. I think more than anything, she brought national attention to young people really wanting to get civically active. You know, it's like people always count us out because we're young and we're millennials and we don't care. We're on Instagram. We're on social media. We care about looking good, but not actually care about normal daily issues. But I think she brought it back to the core of there's young people who are interested in getting politically, who are interested in getting politically involved. And she kind of brought that out to the forefront. So I like the fact that she's younger women are like, I idolize her. I want to see I want to see myself there and I want to get involved. But the other side is it's idolization. It's like almost too much. It's like she's just a congresswoman. She needs to introduce legislation, work with the other both the other people on the aisle, you know. And I, I, we've met her. Yes. You know, you meet her in real life. She's a woman, you know. She's only a year older than me. Right. She was very nice, very sweet, you know. She's 
she's she's not in person when you go one on one. She's not like this fiery character. Again, we met her kind of in the beginning. You know, it's been several months now that she's been elected and she's in office, and she I feel like she has a little bit more um, strength now behind her. But I, I feel like when we met her, she wasn't anything like. She wasn't out there like firebrand like she is right now. So, you know, it wasn't as, I don't know. It's just like, it's so, it's such an interesting thing because one thing is being behind a podium and grandstanding. And then the other one is when you actually sit down with the person, you know, they're not going to yell at you in front of you, you know, and do this whole song and dance because I don't really, you don't need to perform for one person. I thought in the interview you did with her, I thought she was very down there. That's how I felt too. I felt like she was like, I was talking to my friend. I didn't feel like, I, I wasn't particularly like, oh my gosh, this is Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. I wasn't like, but again, we met her right after she, she was still campaigning right. to win, you know, even though she was going to be the only one on the ballot, she had just beaten um, Crawley. So, you know, it's just, it, I guess it's just a different dynamic now, you know, now she's untouchable. You can't get, you get, you, she's protected by so many people, right. you know, so it's kind of like we caught her at the beginning. So it'd be nice to interview her again and see what she's like now. I would like to. And also, she didn't open up a district office, and I'm critical of her, but she is a freshman. You know, I would cut her a break for that. You know, as a journalist, I do like to hold all politicians accountable to the left, to the right. And since it is her first term, okay, she didn't hit the ground running with constituent services. Right. But the other side is she has served as a national symbol. She's ignited young people. And let's see where she goes. Also, you think she's going to open two? She's going to open one in the Bronx and one in Queens, right? She, she should. Because she represents the Bronx. You know, she well. said that Crowley, that she was going to take Crowley's office and it doubled the rent. And that was her problem. But a congressional person gets like a million two for for office. And they, I mean, they get a huge budget. Like a, a freshman assembly member. I've done stories with Latrice Walker. She had trouble getting an office. They barely give them money to hire one or two people plus an office. When you get elected to Congress, they give you a budget. They, you know, this Those is are like, tax dollars. Yeah, That's what I'm yeah. talking about. You know, she could afford, you know, a pretty swanky office. You know, At the very least, she should have opened one. But like I say, we'll see. It's only February 3rd. All right? right. She has some time. The government is temporarily opened again. Right. Maybe the funds will come. We'll see how it goes. She has time, you know? Yes. So we'll see how it goes there. All right. Moving on. A big, big figure in criminal justice died this week. Uh, Charles Hines, former Brooklyn district attorney. Yes. He Charlie Hines, Joe, Charlie Joe Hines. Right? Joe. Hey, I, I never could get it right. I used to cover him. And I remember covering him when, when I was at Old Courier Life. And he'd always show up at these like civic association meetings. Mm-hmm. And he was really big about domestic violence. And every meeting he'd go to, he'd get up there and he would go, I'm the victim of domestic violence. I come from this big Irish family and my dad was a drunk or something. He used to beat my mom. He would always kind of go with the same story, right? Mm-hmm. And Steve wasn't buying the soft story. <laughs> not here, not No, no, I mean, I covered him. He won, he won. And then Ken Thompson came up and it slowly began to come out with uh, another guy too. Uh, Tom O'Hare, what's, what's O'Hare's name? He actually... I, I talk to them all the time. He's into criminal justice. That he put a lot of people away, 
lot of people of color for crimes they didn't commit. Yes. And it it tarnished his whole career. Mm -hmm. And that's, you know, I hear people go, oh, but he did this. He was the first person to institute a, like family justice centers and Red Hook, like for kids that got in trouble, you know, alternatives to incarceration. Right. That's the good. Well, I was going to say to go back to that point, sorry to cut you off. You know, that uh, under Ken Thompson, that's why they started the, the, um, where they like exonerate, they the, look yeah, the review. review the yeah, review, the, yeah. yeah the, because so many people were wrongly convicted under Hines's administration that they really had to look back and be like, wow, all these convictions, you know? And now 32 people have been exonerated under that, um, under that department. And it's, they were all convicted under Hines. I mean, I'm sorry. If it looks like a duck and walks like a duck, it's probably a duck. So I'm just saying. I, I tend to if, agree. If there's 32 people who are wrongly convicted, and there's probably dozens more. You know, those are the ones that they can prove that were wrongly convicted. Think of all the ones they can't prove have been wrongly convicted. Well, you know, that puts a little pressure on Eric Gonzalez, the current DA. Right. Because he, since he's been elected, um, I don't know if another person has walked, whereas most of those people walked under Ken Thompson. Right. And that does need to be investigated. Mm -hmm. And certainly that is horrible. But I'm for once a guy dies, let him lie. You know? I mean, I'm, don't talk ill of the dead. Yeah, don't talk ill of the dead. Not even the worst person. Yeah. I, I mean, but you got to think about some of the lives he destroyed. Some people were there decades. You know, they left their families. They, they, when somebody goes to jail, it's not just that person going to jail. It's a sentence for the family. You know, their mom is affected, their wife or their their partner is affected, their kids are affected. You know, right? Especially men. You know, everybody talks about single mothers in East New York and all these neighborhoods, but it's like, yeah, their men are in jail, wrongly convicted. That's true. Whose fault is that? Charlie Hines. <laughs> May he rest in peace. <laughs> Funny enough, he died in Florida, my home state. Right. Um, and he had five kids. Yeah, I didn't know. I'm surprised. Had. And I wonder if any of them have gone into um, criminal justice or lawyers or anything or have any kind of aspirations to go into criminal law. I, that would know, be an interesting. That would be interesting to see. Yes. I call him the king of Breezy Point. <laughs> he used to always hang out in Breezy Point. How do you know that? You're a stalker. No, I knew it. We actually had a cop reporter back then. Who's with the Daily News? I'm not going to mention his name. I always liked him, right? Mm -hmm. And he, you know, he was an Irish guy. Grew up. His dad was a public defender, and he knew Joe Charlie Hines right? mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. through Breezy Point because the family had a little house in Breezy Point, mm -hmm. and evidently Charlie Hines was he had a place. Breezy Point is like the vacation area for the Irish New Yorkers. And where is it? It's it, kind of near Rockaway. It's a little island. Is that the one that looks like like a beach? Like the homes are like beach homes. Yes, they like painted like like pastel. Yes. they look very much like Florida beach homes. Like you're like you know when you're going to the beach, you yeah. know you're getting close when the houses all feel like the they could blow away or something. You know, they're is like, that how it was in Florida? So it is any any beach town you go to. Their houses are like very brightly colored. Right. They usually have like a porch or something. Right. You just like feel like you're in a beach town. It just looks like it. But go on. Well, breezy point was that way. <laughs> the one time I went there. 
Oh, the one and only, first yes. and last time. Yes. Interesting. All right. Well, speaking of the beach and all that comes with the sunniness and, and the niceness, this week we were beat up by a polar vortex. We didn't get a lot of snow, but, you know, across the Midwest and stuff. It got very cold here, though. I was freezing my booty off. How about you? It, I'm from Chicago. <laughs> it, I could have been out in a bathing suit. There was one or two days. Chicago was like 25 below zero. Yeah, you yeah. know, some homeless people died overnight, which was a very sad, yes. sad thing to happen. Are you not sad? That I'm homeless? very sad. I never like to see people die. I mean, exactly. That, it, but the cold spell in New York, like today, I was just out. Today's Sunday. It's beautiful today. Well, you know, the t well, the temperature has gone up. It's like in the 40s now. So it's like I always said that the difference between Chicago cold and New York cold is New York occasionally will have a couple cold days. And mm -hmm. it'll cold almost rival in Chicago cold. But but I think the difference is that in Chicago, once it gets cold, it could be cold for a month. The cold stamps, once Chicago gets cold, it's cold and it stays cold. Right. New York will have a couple cold days and it warms up. Yeah. Well, and I feel like the weather here is more, it go. it. I don't even know. It varies much more than people think, you know, because a lot of my friends are always like, oh, you're freezing in New York. I go, yeah, but we only freeze for like three days and then we're warm. You know, it's kind of it, it, the temperature never really stays one thing here, especially during the winter. So, yeah, and I have to put in a plug for our sponsor here, Trader Joe's, that they have some of the best coffee. We go there all the time, and we really love Trader Joe's. They got one on Atlantic Avenue, and they have one in the uh, Atlantic Mall. Believe it or not, that is not a paid ad. So, okay. Well, we have to get used to doing that. <laughs> Domino sugar. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Uh, there's Steve being himself. Also, this week, we had a pretty interesting story. We tend to get a lot of housing stories. We tend to really get heart get people who really give us these stories about how their home, their their housing situation is changing over to city-owned housing. Um, this week we talked about a new program that uh, looks to uh, make HDFCs, cooperatives, out of long-time housing, affordable housing. Tell us about that. What's it like? You know the person who gave it to us. You know, the, last year we did, we covered... Um, the uh the third party transfer thank you, third yes. party transfer program under uh the the department of housing preservation and development we're back on to hpd again with another program they don't they aren't our biggest fans and marie springer just stepped down the the hpd commissioner oh you see that right. well anyways let's talk about this story interesting got a lot of views we talked to a couple of uh residents they're not happy about it so tell us well, it, it, some residents aren't happy. I'm hearing good and bad things about it. Mm. it it's the TIL program, which is the tenant. Do you know what that's? <laughs> Leave it to me and Steve. Uh, not to know. It, I'll look it up. Continue though. Yeah, the the tenant program. They were old abandoned. They were old abandoned properties, and from the seventies and eighties and nineties, the tenants kind of took over. I'm sorry the to cut you off. Tenant. Interim lease program, right? Till program. Go so ahead. what happened is the city took the building, and the the tenants that were there did a tenant association. It was run by HPD. They paid the rent to the tenant association, and HPD, the city, was actually the owner for the longest time. And a lot of tenants, they you know, this back in the Wild West days, they cleaned up drug 
houses, you know, there were a lot of more squatters. I remember the Lower East Side. I was back in those days. And now the city wants to redevelop the properties. And it's kind of another way for the mayor to create more affordable housing, even though it's already affordable housing. Right, right. So they have a nonprofit developer go in who can get low interest rates. They're redeveloping the property. They're moving the tenants out. Then they're going to move the tenants back in. After it's redeveloped, then they're going to give them a co-op for $2,500, which sounds good. The, the fine print of the thing is, one, they can't sell the co-ops at market rate. Two, they're going to have to pay back the loan for the redevelopment. Correct. So the maintenance fee, they're getting it for $2,500, but they might be into a maintenance fee of a million dollars. They're going to have to divvy up over 25 years. Now they're going to have property tax. They are getting some property tax breaks. I think overall, journalists like us, and I'm really proud, we have to watch it. Could be good, could be bad. I'd say the jury's out on that. But if you look at the history of the HDFCs, right. it's not that good. It isn't. Well, and then the other thing is people don't realize that HDFCs, it's kind of like, okay, you want to be property owners? Here you go. You guys all collectively own this building now. Now make it stay. Like, keep it up, keep it good, or we take it back. You know, it's right. kind of like, okay, set it and forget it. But you haven't taught us what it's like to be a building owner. You don't give us classes regularly. You just say, if we buy into it, it's ours. But buying property in New York City is a totally different animal than buying property, say, in Florida or somewhere else, where you own it and you're like the only person. HDFCs are specific to New York City, in particular, those HDFCs. And also, co-ops is very strange. It's different than a condo. If you have 10 co-op owners, right. like, I can't even get along with my own family, right? <laughs> you got to get along with like 10 other people in the building, yes. make joint decisions. Right. And if one decides they're not going to pay for something, the other nine going to pay. Yeah. Or if three say no and the seven, it, you know, co-op, they have to literally work together. Right. These, these different times. Right. And, and the other thing is it's working together, but it's also having a business together. You right. know, because having a co-op, having property with somebody else is a business, you know. Right. Something goes wrong in the building, they have to collectively fix it. You know, the boiler goes out, they have to pay for the boiler. They need roofing change, they have to pay for the roofing, you know. And that's kind of the other thing. Okay, so they buy into this co-op, this HDFC. These people already are low and moderate income. They have a maintenance fee. They have their normal, like, rent or, or their well, maintenance. And then the, all the other expenses it costs to live in New York City, but they're already low and moderate income um, individuals. Think about all, uh, like, how much responsibility that is. And it, it's a lot. It takes a toll, you know. And then some of them turn into, as the years go on, end up retired and live off of fixed income, you know. So how are they supposed to maintain something for so long and, why is it that they have to pay back a loan when they didn't even take it out? And then they can't sell back uh, the co-op and market equity. Exactly. That's and the then, then when they do, it's like only they only get a portion of right. the sale. You know, the rest goes back to the back to the HDSC, and a portion goes to the city. Correct. This there is some very questionable points to this, and I think is journalists. It would. I'm really proud that we've been doing it, and I think others should do it. I think the role of journalism is to look at things like this, and often they're not looked at enough. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Well, we'll keep an eye on that. Also this week, 
Our star is on the rise. Congressman Hakeem Jeffries gave his State of the District address. I would just like to point out that to me, it was a it was a rally for a presidential bid in 2020. I'm just saying, I'm putting that out there. I don't know if anybody else is looking at him. You know, Cory Booker just announced right. recently. I would just like to say that it felt like a rally for a presidential bid. I don't know about the rest of you. I don't know if anybody's listening, attended, but it felt very much so like that his entire address was against Trump and not not relenting against Trump and making sure that he's protecting workers and low-income families and getting health care and immigrants and women and children, I'm just saying, if he's not running, I would be surprised. Well, I think he definitely has national aspirations. And I don't see him, though, as president. But I do see him having a chance of being VP. Because they're going to need a VP. Uh, a congressional person, it's not out of the realm to have a congressional VP. And that would vault him. I mean, if, if he got elected VP, that puts him in line for president down the line. And I don't think if Cory Booker gets it. He's going to be the VP, but maybe Kamala Harris, maybe if somebody out <coughs> West, they might want the East Coast presence. Um, he might be good. The other thing is he's more moderate. Mm-hmm. If there's one of these really leftist person that, that is nominated, they might want a more moderate type of person. Right. Um, he speaks very well. Yes. He's very educated. He's very smart. He, I think he's more VP material at this time. Really? Yeah. You don't think he could ever be president? I don't think he's going to run. I mean, everybody else is going to run. Right. You know? And that, let's just say, there's probably going to be more people in that race than there were for the public advocates race, you know? Yeah, oh, it's going it's to be such a wide field. It's already getting crowded. I kind of like Kamala Harris. Kamala. Kamala. Kamala, Steve. You better, you better say her name right. Well, I'm beginning to think that Kamala Harris... It, there's just a buzz about her. I think Kirsten Gillibrand, Kirsten is a little white bready. She's okay. I think Cory Booker is like a vegan. You know, I get it. You know, he's he it ran into doesn't a trust anybody building. that doesn't eat red meat. <laughs> I mean, I get it. He's kind of a moderate guy. You know, they're all kind of going to the left. But I think Kamala Kamala Harris. Kind of has the chops. You know what's so funny? I was talking to my family the other day, my dad and stuff, and um, it's funny because they kind of said something that I never thought about. Why Kamala so resonates with so many people? You know, she she laughs at things the way you would normally in real life. You know, when you see Senate hearings and stuff, and the way she questions people and department heads when they tell her something crazy she laughs you know like a whole hearted laugh you know we're like really yeah yeah and it's interesting because you know my dad said she, there's something about her that's very bold but very relatable you know it, it's kind of like when you're having an argument with somebody you're like they said the most ridiculous you got to laugh in the middle of the argument and my dad said she kind of comes off a little latina like that you know yeah. and i'm like yeah she kind of does i like her there's something you know i've also read about her even though there's a race to the left, when she started, she was a DA and she was pretty tough on crime. She's, yeah, she was. You yeah. know, her sister now is a DA there. Or oh. her sister is a DA as well. I don't know, but, it, you know, I got a, a good kind of vibe for her. I don't know. I mean, it's still early, but there's, she's got that kind of it factor. She does. Then, hey, we need a woman at the top, okay? Right. Never send a man to do a woman's job right. because she's going to have to clean up a whole bunch of stuff. 
Well, you know what? It, it, it's funny because people have said to me, oh, you won't, you know, I'm all for a woman president. Hillary didn't have it. You know, Kirsten, I like her. Ah, she just, whereas Kume Kamala, Kamala kind of has it. You know, she kind of has that, like, yeah, I, I could get behind her. And not, I, not only can I get behind her, but if she told me to get behind her, I would in a heartbeat, you know? Yeah, yeah, she has that. She kind of, funny enough, she kind of reminds me of my mom and your mannerisms, the way she speaks sometimes. You're not trying to get your mom to run for president. Oh, no, 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 not my mom. I, the number one thing she would do is send everybody home to clean. <laughs> She'd be like, everybody has to throw out 50% of their of their household goods. You know, my mom is a cleaner. Oh, right. You know what she should go? My mom would probably be best. I'm trying to think. What department would be something good for my mom? Hmm. Is, is Harris married? Yes, yeah. she is. She's got kids? She doesn't have kids. She has stepchildren. Really? But she's married. You don't need to have kids. No, but I, I'm too. Uh, I like her. She has stepchildren. Okay, that's good enough. She's got buzz, and it's a well-deserved buzz. Exactly. I'm excited. I'm also. I'm also looking forward to see the kind of the extreme radical people who jump into the race as well. I I, I wonder if De Blasio will get in. Do you think the governor is going to jump in? I I don't see the governor jumping in. I think he might support Biden. I. Cuomo. You think Biden's jumping in? Yeah, I think Biden's going to jump in. It's like a moderate. But I, I'm feeling good about Harris. You know, the other good thing about Harris, where it's Obama-esque, mm -hmm. she does have a long political history. No, that kind of works to your favor. Like anybody's <laughs> been in office, they got baggage. You could, you could jump on all their baggage. She doesn't have a lot of baggage yet. Yeah. I guess that is true. And Steve's always for work with what you got. And if you don't have that much, even better. Yeah, in politics, the less you got, the better, it seems. Yeah, you know. Also, speaking of this week, the governor from, um, not sure, speaking of baggage, came out with a photo that yes. he was in blackface. Where Where's he from? Um, Virginia. Virginia. He's a Democrat. And the crazy part is, do you know what he said? He said, I don't recognize that person in the picture. That is it. Well, the, I, I was at the gym today and he denied that he's in the picture. Yes. He said he has done other stuff and he's really sorry. You, you know, I'm not really, if he was in the picture, I would say resign. I think it's very offensive. I think, you know, more than the blackface is the blackface with the Ku Klux Klan. It's like the two of them together right. is just horrendous. And I certainly feel for the, the plight of the blacks. I mean, the history of Jim Crow and the lynching and the slavery. and everything. You, but I, you feel for the plight of the blacks? Of course. You, <laughs> a white Ellie? Jew, you I, feel for Jew. the plight of the blacks? Steve, we're going to, we're, we're, uh, you know yeah. what? We're not going to unpack that, but you can't feel for that plight. You will never understand that plight. True. So you can say, I understand, I hear you, but understand and feel those two things you'll never be able to do. You'll never understand what it's like to be black in America because you're not. No, but I, I could feel as a Jew that went through the Holocaust with family and all that. I mean, you can. It's a completely different thing. Being slaves yeah. for hundreds of years, coming to a country, being stolen from where you're from. Coming here, being told you have to work, being killed, being lynched, and, and discrimination still exists. They're still racist in the United States. 
So don't say you understand and you feel, you see them, you hear them, but you don't feel it. Okay, I see them and I hear them. Okay, but so, go on. So, you know, I, I see them and I hear them and I feel. And I think he's, the, the question is, should he resign? You know, I'm almost, <coughs> it, it's, out, it's now I, I guess with a photo like that, he should resign. You know, I, I wonder about like blackface. I wonder like Halloween costumes now, you know, I, the, the history of blackface, I, I need to read more about it, mm -hmm. you know, and. You know where it comes from though. Origins are so during one, I'm not sure in the early, uh, dating back many years, hundreds, um, the reason that blackface started was because white, oh, it was only white performers and they wanted to impersonate black people. So they would put that out, put that on and act like the way they thought black people were, which was they didn't know how to speak and they could only put on, they could only dance and sing. And, you know, they did every, they would talk weird and call, call their, you know, say things like, yes, yes, um, and things like that. You know, they, they came up very illiterate and not very smart, you know? And it's that idea of like, you're depicting us in a very bad light. That's why blackface has such a bad, bad history. I'm not saying it very well. Let me look it up. It, it has a long history. You know, but I think the history of... Right. So it was to represent a caricature of a black person, which was racial stereotypes, you know, that they didn't know how to speak, that they could only perform. And they were minced, you know, it was like... Uh, the minstrel shows. Yeah, the minstrel shows. And it was a white, it was always a white performer pretending to be a black person. Right. You know, and, but the other thing wasn't that they were just trying to be black. They depicted a black person with big lips and all this, you know, a certain type of hair and all this stuff. And they represented the worst of what they thought a black person was. But that's not what black people are even like. Does that make sense? It makes sense. I don't. And this is going to sound like a really odd thing to say. And I, I know. And we're on a podcast, so if you say the wrong thing, then you're, you know, because we're in a very politically correct time. Mm -hmm. So let me prephase that I'm, I know I'm speaking of ignorance from of this. Mm -hmm. I mean, you know, people are down on Chris Rock because Louis C.K. used the N-word, mm -hmm. you know, mm -hmm. and they really didn't look at the context. And now it's like he can't say anything. So I don't know, but I, I will say that. In, and there's in my very limited, ignorant thing that in some ways it was a compliment to blacks because the blacks are like so part of the entertainment industry. They, you know, the blacks used to be the fiddle players. They started country music. They used to be jockeys in, in the horse racing before the whites. They, they, the, the blacks that came here as slaves, they were slaves. They also built America. Mm -hmm. They're very much part of, of what America is. They built it from the ground up. And part of that building is the culture. Mm -hmm. And the blacks in American culture is just so great at it. They're so powerful. I could see whites going, wow, they're so musical. And they were racist and they didn't want a black guy up there. <laughs> so they would actually paint their face and imitate them. You know? And so... It, it was a horrible, Steve, racist Steve, thing. Steve, Steve, right. you're telling me 
that you're like, well, it's a good thing that racist people wanted to imitate bad things, depict black people in a bad way, and we should applaud? No, we shouldn't applaud it. We shouldn't applaud it. And I, there's, there's no excuse, but I think the history of blackface, I don't know enough about it. I really don't. And I mean, it's not like there's vestiges of it that's part of Jim Crow. Oh, you know, yeah. And it wasn't, you know, I think one of the worst things, I mean, slavery was horrendous, horrible, but they, the whole history of Jim Crow, to me, in a lot of ways, was worse because that was really brutal. You know, the segregation and the lynchings. And you're right, I, I can't really even feel, I couldn't even imagine what that's like. Mm -hmm. Well, the other thing is racism still exists to this day, you know? When you walk into a room, you get a totally different vibe than when I walked into a room. Yes. Well, you are a woman of color. You so. know, so it's not, you know, when you walk into a room, people are going to treat you one way. When I walk into the room, they're going to treat me another way. You know, I've sat in in at corporate offices and meetings where I've been told to take down notes, you know. And I'm like, what do you mean, me? I'm not taking down notes. Everybody else is here. They can take down their own notes. I'll take right. down notes for myself, but I don't need to take notes for anybody else. I'm not a secretary. I'm the same worker as everybody else. But nobody would tell you, Steve, take down notes. That is true. You know, no, I would, being a female and a person of color, I have a lot of sympathy. And, and for males, in a way, more for males. Right. You know, because right. like you said, with criminal justice, I think in on the totem pole of hardness in america i still think black males they get it the worst it's very it true it's very the chances you know i i don't know when i read this or the study that i read but there's something about a black male has been stopped more times than anybody else you know by the cops or something you know usually black males are stopped once before they're like 18 at least once by the cops or something like that i read along many years ago but i'm sure it's like that for sure or maybe even more, depending on what neighborhood you're in, you know? I luckily, my siblings, you know, my brothers, I always, you know, I get worried for them every day, especially my dad as well. They're all, they all look, they're, we're black Latinos, but we're black either way, you know? So it's very scary to see, you know, I see all those videos and images, you know, I always get scared. I say, the cop pulls you over, just do whatever they say, especially because they live in the South, you know? Right. In Florida. Florida's a weird state, you know? Yeah. You never know what could happen. Yeah, Florida is very weird. So I always say, whatever they say, just do it. Don't grab anything, wait for them, show them your hands, you know? But it's sad that you have to tell your kids that, you know? And if I were to have kids, you know, I would, depending on the way they look, I'm going to have to teach them, you know, you're not going to be liked by everybody. Everybody, there's going to be people that you're going to scare naturally just because of the way you look. And that's sad to have to teach your kids that, you know, and there's mothers having to teach their kids now. They're poor young sons. Like there's their eight, nine year old sons. Like every time you go somewhere, be on your best behavior. Not because I don't think you can, you can do it, but because you're going to scare people. People are naturally afraid of you, you know? A little black boy walks into a store and a white boy walks into a store. The white boy could be stealing something, but who's going to be watched? The black kid. Correct. Even if he's just looking at stuff, you know? I walk into a store sometimes and people bombard me trying to help me. Can I help you, miss? Can I help you, miss? Can I help you? And I go, no, I'm okay. Thank you. I'm sorry. To but it's a, a, another, a white girl walks and they're not going to be like, miss, do you need help? Do you need help? No, they're going to be like, oh, we have this new product over here. You want to try it? You know, so it's a, it's a totally different 
totally different thing. Like I said, racism still exists. And speaking of racism, Super Bowl is today. Halftime has been marred by controversy because of Colin Kaepernick. You know, he started the whole kneeling thing during the national anthem, which made a lot of people upset because of the armed forces and all this and that. And a lot of people refused to perform at the Super Bowl halftime show because of it. Rihanna. Um, I'm trying to think of a couple other people who said, you know, I stand with Colin Kaepernick and what he stands for. Because, you know, no team will take him right now. Right. Because they're like, he's too, too controversial for us. But it, is it is it controversial to call? It, this is the thing that always cracks me up. <clears throat> I hate to bring up race, but white people always get upset when they're called racist. You right. know? They don't say that they're racist, but if you call them a racist for having racist actions, that's when they get all upset. Well, I think that with white people, as somebody who's in a biracial relationship or was and four biracial kids, I think that with black, whether Latino or black, race is always part of the conversation. It's always part of the conversation. It's always there below it. And white people is like, I don't want to talk about race. <laughs> yep. They're like, no, I don't want to talk about race. So it's never a part of the conversation to whites. Right. You know, and that's kind of a white privilege. So when they're with blacks, if somebody even mentions it, they don't want to, you know, my mother, you know, they, they don't want to talk about race. It's not relevant. Whereas with blacks, race is always there. It's always part of the conversation. It's always underneath. There's always some underlying things happening. Right, because... You're faced with it every time you walk out the door. Right. And that's the thing. You know, that's the thing about white privilege. You don't see something because it doesn't exist in your world. You know, I've worked one where one place where uh, there was something that happened that was very racist. And I knew it was racist. And one of the girls at the job who happened to be white said, no, that no, that isn't it. That isn't it. And I said, well, first off, it is it. Right. And she goes, well, that doesn't exist here. I go, exactly what I'm talking about. Right. A white girl doesn't see something like that because it doesn't exist in her world. You know, she doesn't know. She can't feel prejudice because nobody's prejudiced towards her. You know, so I was like typical a white girl telling a black girl that racism doesn't exist. It's like, OK, like I just started laughing. I had to start laughing because this is exactly what white privilege is, is being able to be like, I, I don't have to deal with it. So it doesn't exist. But because it doesn't exist in your world doesn't mean that it doesn't exist. It exists every single day for people. So it was just such a funny thing. I, I, I you know, again, I couldn't talk to race with her. I think that's part of the issue is you talk to white people about race. They it's either they're in two boats, either they don't want to talk about it and they avoid talking about it because it's so prevalent. And they're you know, they don't want to come off a certain way, even though they are that way. You know, it's different to ask to act a certain way, but then to then confirm it with your words is a totally different thing. And then I think that's where people, certain people fall. And then the second place where people fall is it doesn't exist. I don't see it. So it doesn't exist. Right. Yeah. You know, what, what was the, after Obama, the big thing is, are we post-racial? Exactly. And all the whites are like, we're post-racial. Yeah. And all the blacks are like, like we're not post-racial. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> you know, and that's always like, it's such a, it's a, it's like I said, it's like, if I've never seen bread go moldy, you know, I'm not going to be able to say, oh, bread gets moldy. I'm going to be like, that doesn't exist. I don't know what you're talking about, you know? So I guess my question is, will there ever be a bridge? Will there ever be, is this a divide? Is this a schism that 
that races are always going to have, or are we eventually going to get to what MLK said, Martin Luther King Jr.? I don't want to, you know, no, no, it's, we judge it, a person by the no, content no, no. of the character. It's funny you're bringing that up yeah. because we're in Black History Month. Oh, yeah. I think that, you know, I'm not a completely, you know, I'm Latina and I'm black, so I'm not fully, you know, I don't have all the that cultural understanding and all of that. But I think that it can happen. I think there are some things that people need to first recognize and start listening, you know, because if you're not open to the conversation, we can't go anywhere. You know, people who don't want to talk about it, you at some point need to talk about it. Because it's happening, and the only way to get over something is to talk about it. Yeah, but then there's always like a relationship. Sometimes, as a man, sometimes as a woman, they they like it. It like never goes away. You know what I mean? I mean, it's not going to be. I I'm sure it's going to take decades for us to be post-racial, for many reasons. First off, we still have racist. I mean, we can't be post-racial with people who still discriminate. It's just not going to happen. True. And if they continue to have kids, they're going to teach their kids their way. Kids just learn whether they try not to be racist or not. You know, people just learn. Well, like it's just like governor now and he's facing this. Well, that's what I'm saying. Like the, it, 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 your actions speak louder than words. Kids are going to learn by what you how you act and what you do. You know, so as long as there's racist and people still discriminate and are prejudiced there, we will never be post-racial. That just doesn't exist. Well, one issue issue I have, though, and it's like the left, even more than the right, doesn't allow for freedom of speech. I think part of the way we have to get past post-racial, too, is we have to, like on college campuses, people have to be allowed to say stuff and be wrong and sound racial. People need to, if they can't feel oppressed in their thoughts, right. you know, and their speech. And if they do, it, it, this is a problem with the left. It's really a problem, like on college campuses, because we're never going to get past it unless right. we're allowed to go, look, this is how I feel. And then the person say, well, you're wrong. Exactly. You're right, yeah, and, you know? I agree. I agree. We need to get over this political correct and this mm-hmm. and that, because if that's the other thing. If people aren't open to expressing how they really feel they can't learn or hear anybody else you know so i I, you know i don't know what the secret is there i don't know how to get us post-racial i think like i said listening letting people speak whatever they might say you know it might sound outrageous and it probably is at first right but at least you can be like let's go through your thought process why are you thinking that way you know think about those things you know think about how why they might be putting all those things together and getting to where they're thinking yeah like we we don't hate you for this we're just trying to understand where you're coming coming from from. and maybe we can see and yeah exactly like you know you know whenever you ask like uh, whenever you're going somewhere and you're asked like which way are you gonna go you know like are you gonna take this way because you might run into this are you gonna it's kind of that same idea you know both people are probably gonna sound very outrageous to the other person because race is a very intimate thing you know know, it's funny because you go back to blackface and i felt very uncomfortable saying what i said Mm -hmm. and i and I wish there was an African, not a Latino, who really understood blackface Mm -hmm. so I can, like, think through that. Right, exactly. I'm not the best person, uh, you know, because I culturally, you know, identify Latino, even though I look black or mixed, you know, but I'm not the I'm not the best person. I also don't know the history that well, but it has a very bad blackface is always a bad connotation. The other thing is 
why is it to be, because he was trying to be Michael Jackson. Why is it that people feel to be somebody, they have to color themselves? I don't understand that. You know, like you can't, you can dress up as Michael Jackson and we'll know who you are if you're just wearing Jerry curls and a glove. You know what I'm saying? I don't know. That's like the, the Wayne brothers did that movie, White Girls. Yeah, but that was like a totally different thing. Yeah, right. I That's what I say. I don't want to sound, I would like to express myself right. to a point where people go, Steve, look, tell me what you're thinking here. Right. And let's walk our way through this. Right, right, right. But because we're in this extreme left now, <laughs> it's like, I don't want to say anything for fear I'm saying the wrong thing. Right, right, Maybe right. I am ignorant. I don't understand. This is a safe space. I. Yeah. You can say what you well, want. Well, you know, like... I grew Not up to me, as when my grandfather, mm -hmm. who came here from Russia, in, in this, he used to sing Al Josen. Al Josen was a Jewish vaudeville guy that was always in blackface. He did a song, Mammy, how I love you, how I love you, my dear old mammy. And he did Swanee River, and he made a whole career out of it. And I'm hearing he, you know, he did, it was almost like he did it out of admiration of blacks. But was he? Was he degrading blacks? Was it Jim Crow? It should have been a black person singing that. Mm -hmm. um, you know, they were, you know, in entertainment, the blacks always played a lot of music. They, like I say, the early country bands, they were the fiddle players at the parties, you know, in the South and the, and the banjo players. And I don't understand it. I almost wish somebody go, no, what Al Josen did was he should be. They should crucify him now. Mm -hmm. Or was he a product of his times? He was an entertainer. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. You know, he was a vaudeville guy. Mm -hmm. So I don't know. I, I don't know. I, I know how blacks, I don't know. But I've read that some blacks feel that blackface is just a total abomination. It is. It is. But it is. And it, it's kind of like people who wear for Halloween wear in, like, it's not, the, that this is not comparable. It's not the, people for Halloween who wear like native, like dress up as Indians. Right. You know, it's like, what do you when mean? When I was a kid, they used to do that all the time, though. Nobody really thought about it. And then for a while, people like a lot of well, whites will wear dreads because they wanted to be Bob. <laughs> but the thing is, nobody thought about it. Right. You hear that? Right. Nobody. You hear that line? Nobody thought about it. Nobody thought about it because right. why? Because you don't have to think that way. Right. You know, and that's what you, you would never see that on an Indian reservation. So which is worse, a little kid dressed like an Indian or, uh, or well, Elizabeth Warren saying that she's got Indian blood? In and it. ends up not even being <laughs> Indian. Uh, you know, I think I uh, I think that's worse because it's like I I'm trying to take over your plate as mine. And that's what I don't understand. Kind of like a Rachel Dolezal. She's like, I feel black. So I am black. It's like, what? what no, no, no. That's it. You cannot do that. You cannot. You know, I I don't get to wake up and be like, I'm a, I'm a white girl tomorrow with blonde hair, blue eyes. And all of a sudden the world's going to change. You know, I have to still be the same person I am. And the, oh, and the same. And, and I think that's just it ends up being a, a thing. I mean, it's just so many things to unpack, but we'll move on. Thanks for joining us this week on Uncorrect New York. Make sure you follow us on Facebook, Uncorrect New York, Twitter, Uncorrect uh, NY and continue listening to our podcast. And we look forward to having Tom back next week. We oh, hope yeah. we held the ship down, Tom. <laughs> Enjoy the Super Bowl. All right. Take care.